You may be seated. Well, Isaiah, I'll take that. Sorry about that. That's all right. Well, Isaiah tells us that the word of, that the, the grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So thank you, Chase, for reading our passage. And really and truly, what a beautiful privilege we have to read God's word as a community. This truly is a gift that we can take a part in. The headline reads, Paul's in chains. The paper got the headline. That does not mean they were the first to break the news though, to those around them. In fact, Paul wanted to be able to share the news and have it spread. Uh, uh, Roman prison and in chains is where Paul is writing to to the Philippian church. Can you think of a better place? Oh, really? Okay. (laughs) Thought I'd get a little chuckle, right? It's like being sick today. You don't want it, right? Paul cannot imagine a better place with such great influence. This is what we, this is where and what we get from our message. That's why it's called advance. Advance. Welcome to this third Sunday in the new year. We are soundly in our second Sunday of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And our theme, our theme be full of the joy of the Lord. And we have been uh, immersing ourselves. Uh, Maybe you haven't, but many of us have. And we invite you in Philippians. And in fact, uh, if you're following today, if you haven't gotten to it, you get to read through the whole letter one more time. Uh, What a beautiful thing that we have. And it's from a prison cell that Paul pens Philippians. The series is called In Chains. So we're going to take a look at how, see and how Paul leveraged his pen and preaching from prison. Uh, next week, we'll take a look at the poetic pen of Paul and tackle the topic of being, uh, uh, imitating, the topic of imitating. Let me ask you, though, today, this is what I want to ask. What would you bring, what would bring you the most joy in your life? Which of these circumstances would you have, would give you the greatest potential for creating joy? Let me ask. Circumstance one, an unexpected inheritance of $7 million. Uh, Circumstance two, uh, failed a test in your semester, right? Oh. Uh, Circumstance three, the unexpected loss of a job tomorrow. You go in, say we don't want you. Or circumstance four, an unexpected blessing that came into your family. Which one would you choose? Which one do you think has the most potential for creating the most joy? The correct answer is all of them. All of them. But most of you, uh, the internal gut would be saying, isn't it the $7 million? Paul says no. Jesus concurs. Today we're going to be t- talking about how, how, about how does real joy come into our lives. You have to begin by redefining joy a little bit. It's not perfect circumstances. Anybody had perfect circumstances? Yeah. 
I mean, we, we come really, really close, but then there's just, the, the silverware wasn't lined up right. Okay, I'm making light. But it's true, right? Because we see in everything, there's something. There's no such thing as per- perfect circumstances or situations in your life, in any of our lives. If joy is perfect circumstances, then we are doomed. We are truly doomed. But God wants to bring joy into our lives. And simply, this idea of being full of the joy of the Lord is not saying that everything's okay. It's not lying about what really is. It's not putting on a happy, smiley face and saying that everything is going to be okay. Joy is God using our imperfect circumstances to work his perfect will into our lives. Me knowing that, seeing that, and recognizing that, that's what overwhelms my life with joy. Knowing that he is there. The common misconception about joy, even for followers, even for people who have studied the Bible, who are... on on track of just following him with all dedication is to fall into this idea that all circumstances have to be aligned in order for me to have joy. We know that's obviously not true, right? Every one of us in the room, we know people who have the greatest situations, but they have the worst dispositions, right? They, They have it made, by all, all situations, but everything they have, people who have everything you could ever dream of, and you look at them and they are still a little bitter about life. Then you know somebody else who has gone through a tragedy after tragedy after tragedy in their lives, and after a period of time of, I'm sure, walking and wrestling that through, they, they emerge with a smile on their face with a joy that rides underneath all of it. So it's obviously not circumstances. Paul says this in our text today. I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped me to spread the good news. Paul's in chains, as we said, waiting in Rome to, and waiting for Rome to figure out what to do with him. By the way, um, unlike our our cells uh, in, in America, and I'm not advocating for this, the cells in jail cells in Rome were a waiting place for them to figure out what they actually were going to do with you, right? He knew this. Uh, so these circumstances, they don't have uh, good written on, on any of it. Not at all. He has the view of a jail cell. Yet, I believe Paul's words are very intentional. Everything, he says in the NLT. And I believe that sums up even across the board. So, what is he saying? What's he bringing to us? Let's say you and a friend uh, decided to go to the Grand Canyon. And you decided to go to the Grand Canyon, and you set up your camp chair... And you begin to look at the canyon and to just admire the beauty of it. But up pulls this Winnebago. It's it's a classy style, too. It's got rust. It's a beautiful one. It's an old classic style, right? And just sets in your way. There are several ways you can look at this situation, right? You can become obsessed with the very fact that 
They weren't paying attention to you, and they set their Winnebago right in your, the path of your, the view you had for the Grand Canyon, right? You begin to kind of rally on them and complain about this. And then you wonder why they won't move their Winnebago out of your way. Not to go long, there are several different versions on this, but the reality is, is it's more about you changing where your camp chair is than they moving their Winnebago. Do you have a situation in your life right now? I bet you do, where you're saying, I wish they would move that Winnebago, right? Whatever the Winnebago is in your life. And it may just be that you need to move your chair. God's given you the ability to do that. You need to look beyond the difficulties of the situation and circumstance and look beyond them. And can I just tell you that looking is harder than we think? It's harder than we know, and it's much easier to read on a piece of paper. Looking takes this energy and effort that comes from the power of the Spirit to be able to reimagine what can happen, not based on our thoughts and our designs and our desires, but based on the truth of God's Word and the Spirit of the living God. So we need to look beyond the circumstances and situations to see God's truth. Just just to tell you that there are other places and spaces that Paul writes about tough situations and circumstances. Here, James 1, 2 and 3 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind. You know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. In Romans, it says much the same. And over and over again, it talks about the very fact that the Winnebago is going to get in our way. But your faith tells you that you need to look at things vastly different and look beyond the situation you're in and to see what God is doing. So Paul's in Rome, and the Philippians are in Philippi. Paul is in prison. He's writing back to them. They they probably haven't heard from Paul in quite a long time, and there's a big separation between the two. And he's writing back, telling them what's happening and what's occurring, and he writes to them, right? And all of this is transpiring, and they're praying for Paul. They've supported Paul in his ministry endeavor. We, he looked beyond the circumstances to see the result of what was happening to him in that place and that space. He doesn't ask why this is happening. He doesn't, he didn't say Jesus didn't come into, you know, Jesus, didn't Jesus come into this world to to make my life pleasant and comfortable for me? He didn't look at it that way. He recognized that Jesus came into this world to give his life purpose, and purpose doesn't always equate to comfort in all situations. And he looked past the circumstances he was in. Remember, I want you to remember, or maybe you don't know this, but Paul is literally uh, enchained and chained to a Roman guard. That's the way they worked in this situation. And he writes, not only did he write that everything has happened to spread the gospel, but he writes in Philippians 1.13, for everyone here, I love that, including the whole palace guard knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. He's under house arrest. 
the palace guard or the praetorian guard comes in every day. He's chained to a different guard every single day. He decides not to talk about his house reservation. Kidding. He decides not to talk about his dusty feet and the journey down the road. Maybe that came into it. But what he did decide to talk about was the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, he talked about it with great intention to press this in. And he spoke to them about the good news. Uh, prison wasn't Paul's plan. His plan. His plan was to stop by Rome on the way to Spain where he'd preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. That was his plan. His plan was to preach to the churches of Rome, not to preach in the prisons of Rome. It's not what he expected. Are you in a place where you didn't expect to be? But God is asking you to change seats or to move your chair so you can do what he's asking you to do? Is there, is, there, is there a shift that you need to make? It is early in 2023, but this shift can change the trajectory of the whole year if you so choose. I love, again, I'm just going to reemphasize this. The Living Translation, the New Living Translation, uses two words to convey Paul's attitude about what's transpired. Everything has helped me to spread the good news, to advance the message of Jesus Christ because I'm in change, and that everyone, he means everyone, knows why I'm here. They know I'm in chains for Christ, not in chains because of Rome. That is the reason. You see, our attitude in our circumstances is a prime ingredient in bringing joy into our lives. When we recognize and realize that God has a purpose for us in the place he has allowed us to be. Paul was able to move the camp chair for a proper view of his circumstance and allow the joy of the Lord to fill his life. Next, we need to look beyond the personalities and see the priorities. We have to look beyond the personality and see the priorities. If you can catch a hold of what Paul is saying here, it will change uh, Change your life for the rest of your days. When life is getting tough, there are people who are going to come along and make it worse. He says that in that passage. They're there. We could handle the difficulty sometime, couldn't we? If it wasn't for the people who just come and, and heap more on, right? But the fact is, that is the reality of which we live. There will always be people who come and heap more on to our situations, there are people who allow their hurt rather than their heart to guide them, to control their actions, and they then give it to us. The littlest thing becomes the biggest thing for them often. Sometimes it begins with something big, but that's not always what sticks in our minds, right? If you, if you paint an incredible uh, painting in our foyer, of our church, you're out there and people are walking by admiring. But there will be one person who always comes by and says, hmm, boy, that doesn't look like the right color of the sky. Do you know what will stick in your mind from there on in? It will be uh, that one person who's like, yeah, 
that was just a little off. Could you do it, you know? And so the question becomes, how do we handle uh, people who make things worse or heap it on? Philippians 1, 15 15 and 16 says, It is true that some are preaching out of jealousy, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. We need to remember those who are kingdom-minded. That's what we need to do. We need to remember those those fellow brothers and sisters who are kingdom-minded. Uh, those people that are making it better, that understand the call and the commission. It's inevitable that there's going to be one person who's going to come alongside and tend to erase from our minds the 10 or 20 people who are positive, who want to speak good. Not, Not that they won't speak corrective, but they're speaking good and desire to see good come of it. But we'll always stick with the one. There's, there's some who are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but there are others who are preaching with pure motives, he says. So on, on your uh, handout, I want you to do this. Uh, you have a situation probably in your life right now in which um, somebody has gone, come in and put a wet blanket over it, right? So that one person who makes things worse or puts a wet blanket on things, I want you to put their initials on it. And if it's your next, next door neighbor, be discreet, right? I want you to go ahead and do that. You have somebody, right? Because Satan will always capture somebody's attention to make things worse. He will use somebody in that way. We just have to understand that. What I want you to do next, if you've done that, is write over the name of the one person in your life who makes things, uh, write over that one, initials of that one person, uh, write, Uh, initials of those who make it better. Go ahead and do that. Write the initials of somebody who makes it better. If you can't write somebody's name, let me just tell you that Jesus is one you can write over the top of that one. Then I want you to write another one who makes it better and another one who makes it better. Those who are advocates for you in the advancement of living for and proclaiming the gospel. You see what we're doing? We're replacing physically, and some of us have to do this, we have to replace physically on paper and do it in our journals or whatever, replace what, what Satan is trying to tear from us and replace it with what is good and right and, and there that he wants for us. Uh, number two, we need to remember that what's really important. We need to remember what's really important. I love... Um, Paul says this in the NLT, but that doesn't matter in verse 18. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I continue to rejoice. Now, the focus of this passage is about the gospel and the message of it advancing going forward. He's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they're doing. People are hearing Christ and accepting him. Uh, That's our focus to the priorities He says, you know what, even if those guys have bad motives, they're preaching the truth about Christ and God's probably gonna use it anyway. What's it matter? They're trying to get me by preaching the truth about Christ and uh, they're trying to get at me about about preaching Christ in a certain way, but that's not gonna work. Somebody's going to get saved and that's gonna 
That's going to be a redemption that God wants. It's something that blesses me. Paul realizes that those guys aren't going to get any blessing for themselves with preaching with wrong motives, but the kingdom may receive those who are saved. And we can think maybe through our lives, uh, we've heard um, or you know, been a part of situations where people have heard the message and we know that it's kind of like a distorted message. Uh, can I say it? Tell evangelists or others? And we kind of go, wow. But they got saved. And they start to walk in the ways of Jesus, right? And that's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, look, 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 look. Have they, is, it, is Christ being preached? Let it be. The most important thing in life is not pleasing people. The most important thing in life is that someone who gave his life for us and pleasing him. That's our duty. Look beyond the personality to see the priority of the kingdom and the call of the kingdom on our lives, to seek it all the time. Look beyond the temporal to see the eternal. Look beyond the temporal to see the internal. I'd be embarrassed to say how many times something I won't even remember a week later steals my joy in the moment. Anybody been there? Yeah, it's like... Are you kidding me? And then you, you forget about it. You, you just simply cannot remember what it was, but you know in those moments or that half a day or that day or three days, all joy was gone. It was just sucked out. When something God has given us for eternity, when God has given us eternity and somehow we forget this truth, right? We've got to find a way of looking beyond the temporary. We've got to find a way to see the eternal, the things that really last 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says this, For our light and more momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. We, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. We readjust of what we're looking at. The unseen is eternal. Uh, Paul in Philippians 121 gives us one of the greatest statements in all of Scripture about how to do this. How do you get your eyes off the temporary things of life that crash in on you every day and get your eyes on the eternal love of Christ in an everyday way? He says it, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, we can read that and sometimes maybe we do with a question mark. For me to live is Christ? To die is gain. But I think what Paul desires and definitively what Jesus desires for us is that we move to a place where we say it with the greatest of confidence just like Paul said himself. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And how can we learn to do that? How can we learn to look beyond the temporary circumstances to the eternal circumstances of life or the eternal of life i think it's a key key thing to learn paul goes on and on and talks about this he teaches us and talks about three things i think one he talks about we need to have a lifetime commitment to ministry yep did i say ministry yep and that means to jesus but it means to ministry kingdom work kingdom work that's where we get the sense to live as Christ and to die as gain. It takes a lifetime commitment or a covenant to ministry. And, talks, and Paul talks about his commitment to the people. 
in that. Number two, it takes the desire to be with Christ. Paul writes about this, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ, more than anything than, a, than what he, any wants, anything that he wanted. He developed that by spending Christ. He wanted to see what was Christ developed, and it was only by spending time with him. Uh, maybe you've noticed that in, in other fellow followers, right? Their desire, their desire is, is lukewarm maybe. But our desire has to come from a desire to being with Christ, hearing his heartbeat, knowing that he's called us to a ministry and a desire to be with him. And three, it takes an unselfish love for others. Paul went on and on to say, yet it's more necessary for me to remain on for who? For them, for those in Philippians. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between the two desires. I've longed to go and be with Christ, which would be far better. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. His love for them moved them to continue to live for them inside the kingdom realm. I don't know about you, but sometimes I look at my life and, and, and I, I want to stay in this world more than I want to be with Christ. But you know why? You want to know why nine times out of ten? It's because I, I want progress for me. I, 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 to be honest, I, I, many times I, I want to accomplish things. I, I want to do things for me. You know, spend time with my family, not necessarily in the idea of the constructs of living for the ministry and the kingdom. Does that make sense? I mean, it's pretty hard to get to that point, but like, yeah, I want, I want to run a, you know, I want to run a marathon or, you know, you have all these goals and they, those are personal goals. God may de- desire you to have those, but they live and they live on an individual and they're, they're self-centered. They're not kingdom devoted. I just want to stay in this world so I can do more. I mean, I don't know how many young people who get to the marrying age go, you know, I just want to, I just want to be married before I die. And then there's something else that comes out. I mean, it's just as a list, right? But God desires us to have and say this with such confidence, you know, that we can say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain no matter what is transpiring. Because then, then is where he can use it, use us. Did you know there was a study done a few years ago at the Institute of Child Research and they asked two questions to find out who the happiest people on earth were? It's a pure, purely secular psychological study and they asked, first of all, First of all, the conclusion of the, they asked this question, uh, the people who's, uh, they asked the question, who's the happiest, and the study at the conclusion wrote this, the people whose activities are devoted to bringing themselves happiness are far less to be happy than who, those whose efforts are devoted to making others happy. Living for others. It doesn't take a psychological study to realize that, Right? That's, that's what giving your life is all about. That's what ministry is all about. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It, it's not for ourselves. It is purely the purpose is to live it in a way for others. 
I, I, think, I think when we think about this idea of being full of the joy of the Lord, it has to be summed up with this because we see it in Paul's life and we see it definitively in Jesus' life. That there will no, be no joy in life when it comes to circumstances unless I can answer two questions in my, in my life. Can I face life with a purpose? Do I have a purpose? And can I, fa- can I face death with confidence? See, that's the two questions that are filling Paul's heart his ability to say with confidence and courage for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, that's what Christ came to earth to do. That's what many of us are trying to figure out in our lives. What is my purpose? What's my design? How has, have I been created? And the last is the fear of death, right? You can have both. You can, you can have a confidence about living beyond yourself and have a confidence of dying with great purpose. It brings joy to know that you're giving and pouring your life out in that way. Paul says, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying even better. At the beginning of 2023, what are the circumstances that are facing you? What's blocking your view of looking beyond what you see in front of you? Do you need to move your chair? Change your perspective? See your circumstances as opportunities? Surround yourself with people who have the same and like-minded heart and desire in life. See, the purpose, perfect illustration of looking beyond circumstances is our own Lord Jesus. As we, as we think about this, we're admonished to fix our eyes on him the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy sent before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He looked beyond his present circumstances to see the future result, and there was joy. What God would do through the cross and the empty grave for us. You want an example of people, uh, of someone who perfectly look beyond personalities to see God's purpose. Again, look at the cross. People throwing ridicule at Jesus, crucifying him at that point, come down there from there if you're the son of God. Jesus certainly had the power to look past the personalities. He looked at them and said with great compassion and great purpose, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Do you want a perfect example of being able to look past the temporary to see the eternal? There it is again, right there. In our Savior, our Lord, and our Messiah, the cross of Christ, temporary, the blood, nails, cross, ridicule, scorn, and shame. Eternal, life, forgiveness, joy, peace, heaven, and the community of faith in which we are together here. 
He looked past the cross to see what God was doing through him for others. Jesus didn't need to die for himself. His life was poured out on behalf of others. So Jesus admonishes us. In his own words, he says, take up your cross daily. That we take up our cross, gain his perspective in the circumstances, and advance not our cause, but advance the gospel of Jesus Christ to share Jesus with others around him. But I suspect that there may be circumstances that block our view. There may be Winnebago's that are right in our path, as beautiful as they may be. So it's okay to have a problem or a struggle in your life. It's okay to bring those problems where? To the foot of the cross and allow him, not you, willpower will only last so long, right? It's our job to bring them to him. And as Pastor Thomas told us last week, it is our place to bring it in prayer and put out our cups, bowls, platters, pots, pans, whatever else he said, right? Are you tired of trying to navigate whatever the circumstance, situation in your life? When we give it to Jesus, gain his perspective, we are able to advance the gospel, the message of Jesus, the love of God, to the world around us. Let's pray. As we do pray, and as our worship team comes forward, I, I invite you. Again, uh, we're in the midst of the 21 days of prayer and fasting, and we're, we're also off the heels of the Prayer Warrior Boot Camp. You can pray on your own, but wouldn't it be better to pray with a partner? Bring it to the altar. Know that you have left it there instead of where you're at. I mean, there is something about moving physically our body and our posture to a place where we can say, you know what, I set it down there. I didn't keep it here in my lap, in my place. And I I understand it could be just, uh, you know, language But I implore you, as we go into prayer, that maybe this is the place where you you come to the altar and you lay it down or you partner with somebody else and you ask them to join you. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. It's not just something that happened in history. It's not just something that gave us forgiveness a long time ago and then we move on. But what you did at the cross is something real and alive for us every day. It not, just, not only gives us life, but teaches us how to live. Paul exemplified the model you gave. Put into prison, his circumstances were less than ideal. Paul, put in prison, advanced the gospel in the midst of his less than best circumstances. Father, would your spirit 
move us to see our circumstances, our situations, uh, maybe that we're in now or maybe that we're going to come to as opportunities for you to advance. Maybe you're here this morning and you, you have yet to say yes to Jesus, to allow him to rearrange and to give you the perspective of life that he wishes to give. Uh, friend, I, I want to tell you that Jesus gave his life for you. On the cross and the empty grave. This is a statement of his I love you to you and to the world. If you want to change not only how you see, but how you walk and how you live. But pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy, grace, and love found in and through Jesus. Save me and forgive me from my sins. I give you my life and choose to follow, love, and live for you. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, not only to save us, but to sanctify us, to set us apart and to show us how to live. We thank you for Paul's example. Lead us as we surrender to you. Amen.